What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Sheehan Show with me, Sean Sheehan, joined today by a very special guest, Spencer Kite, as we look ahead to the prelims of the very good card, kind of, kind of very good card, between uh, headlined by Bilal Mohammed uh, and uh, Vicente Luque this week. We must tell you before we get into all that, though, that this episode uh, is brought to you by BetUS.com, and it's offering our listeners an incredible 125% bonus on their deposits for that card, UFC and ESPN. 34 Luke versus Mohammed to use the code Sherdog and get $2,500 in extra money to make fight night even better. At betus.com, you can not only bet on each fight, but they have loads of awesome parlays to choose from too. Bet live during the fights, and your winnings are paid within hours. So start the fight at betus.com and use the code Sherdog, S H E R D O G. You'd nearly want to know how to spell it if you're on the website at this stage. So use that code Sherdog. Spencer, thank you very much for joining me. I've wanted to have you on one of these shows for for a very, very long time. We're finally uh, getting to do it. If you don't know, Spencer, UFC.com, Substack, everywhere. Been around the game for a long time. One of my best friends in the game. One of one of the best people covering the sport. If you're not following him, go over and follow him over on Twitter right now and follow his work as well. And the reason I want to get Spencer on this, because talking about the, the prelims, is that I don't think there's anyone in the world who gives <laughs> as much attention or cares as much about the guys coming up because I like I cared a lot about this card because I've been sitting here preview so I went through and I watched an awful lot. But you do this every week, Spencer. You look at all these guys, and when you do that, as I've done for this card, and we'll get into each fight by fight, you do see guys, don't you? You see people that are like, oh, I didn't realize he was that good, or oh, maybe I didn't realize he was that bad <laughs> sometimes. But uh, as someone who does that all the time, do you feel like that's a kind of uh, before we get into the card itself, it's a kind of an underdone part of MMA, maybe? I think so. For me, it's it's going back and, and watching through. And so, as you mentioned, and thank you for the lovely introduction, um, I do a fight-by-fight fight preview for UFC.com every week. And so it's top to bottom, every fight on the card. And so there are times when I remember the fights and I remember the last couple of performances and know exactly what I'm going to say. And then I, there are times where I go back and pull up old fights and go hunt for fights of newcomers or contender series fights or things like that. And you see little pieces that you maybe forgot because the schedule is so hectic and there is so much going on that it, for me, is a way to just sort of re-identify people and remember people or get a second look at somebody that maybe I wasn't paying attention, paying enough attention to, or I didn't happen to see the fight. I can't, I don't see every single fight card. I watch most of them, um, but you know, life happens sometimes and, and you missed one or two here and there. And so for me, doing stuff like this and paying this much attention is a way to really recognize some of those under the radar people and some of those younger fighters in terms of experience or age that are starting to work their way up the divisional ladder. Because as we know, at some point, one or two of these athletes are going to pop. They're going to go on a winning streak. They're going to end up against somebody that we all recognize and that we all understand their sort of significance or quality or level in a division. And I want to know who they are ahead of that and, and what they've done ahead of that and not be sort of caught playing catch up. A hundred percent. That's, it's a very interesting thing to do. Like there are some people who do certain things in MMA and do it better than others. And I feel like you're one of those people with fighters that maybe we, we wouldn't recognize or wouldn't, uh, you know, have enough hype for unless there was someone like you do. Like, I feel like, you know, over in Ireland, there's I, I do it and other people do it as well, not to pick myself up or anything. <laughs> and, you know, it's, I love when we do that. I love when we could do that. And I love when, you know, um, 
uh, Irish fighters are kind of given that G up with America and Canada. So sometimes it's harder because there's so many more fighters and things like that. And and you don't know, maybe it's it's kind of harder to pick out which ones to kind of give that uh, leg up to. But I think you do a great job of it and you do it every week. And we'll try to do that here a little bit as well and talk about, we go through some of the fights. Look, we're not going to bluff it. If there's if it's not a great fighter, not a great prospect, we'll say it. I'm going to start with someone who I don't think is a great prospect. Now, to, to, give, to start with the positive uh, <laughs> intro there, but I got to go a little bit negative. So this fight between Brandon Jenkins and Drakkar Close, I watched a, a bit of Jenkins. Obviously, he fought uh, in the UFC against uh, Rong Zhu, who actually I was more impressed with him <laughs> you know, in, in that fight. He's a very, very good fighter. But he's fought a, a couple of times once in PFL, fought in the local scene. I think there aren't loads of fights on him on YouTube at different places, even though he's had like 23 fights. Um, I honestly don't see an upside for him here against Drakkar Close. I think this is a very, very tough fight for him. Look, what he can do, I think he's a fast and varied striker who gets hit a lot. He reminds me like maybe of a young Donald Cerrone or a Matt Brown or someone like that who goes for a lot. Not as good. I think he has kind of poor takedown defense. Whereas, you know, we've seen Drakkar Close around for a long time. Those insane calf kicks. He almost... You know, I think he brought calf kicks to the to the fore in mixed martial arts with that fight over Mark Chikese. And others have done it before him, but I don't think anyone ever did as effectively as he did. You know, very good hands defensively and offensively, and he has a very good clinch, and he has takedowns too. I think he's a nightmare matchup for, for Brandon Jenkins. What do you think of, of the matchup here, Spencer? And what do you think of, of the two guys? Are you? Uh, I, I'm very down on Brandon Jenkins, I won't <laughs> lie. What, what's your thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those guys that over these last kind of two years of pandemic UFC got called up on short notice, is is a Las Vegas-based guy. He trains at Syndicate MMA. And so was one of those people that when a fight fell through, when an opponent fell through for Rong Zhu, it was who's around? Who can we get that's ready to go? And they grab Brandon Jenkins. And and I think your assessment is, is pretty fair. He's going to come out and he's going to try to make this messy and make this ugly and, and get in Drakkar Close's fight, face. You mentioned that this is sort of a bad matchup for him. I think Drakkar Close is a bad matchup for a lot of people. You go back and look at his record and you realize that this guy's like 14-2-1. You know, he's, he's got wins over Bobby Green and Lando Venata. And you mentioned Mark Jacasey, who had a great return to form a couple weeks back. Like He's somebody that has kind of fallen off the radar a little bit because it's been two years since he fought. We haven't seen him since the Jeremy Stevens incident. He's been kind of bumping around gyms, he and his partner, Courtney Casey. But he's now they're now back at the lab. They're back settled. He's healthy. He's ready to go. I think this is one of those fights where, where Jakar Close comes out and sort of reminds us that he's not a top 15 guy, but in that next, probably in that next 15, where he's a nightmare matchup for any young fighter trying to gain experience. And he's a tough out for any of those sort of 10 through 20 guys that are looking to hold on to their spot. A hundred percent. And what you said at the start of the podcast as well, you know, you want to kind of expose guys to the world that are kind of going on those runs and, and could be the next guy. Like to me, Drakkar Close kind of was that when he had beaten Venata, Bobby Green and Gigos. Okay. He lost to, to Benin Lariush. Many lads have lost to Benin Lariush. You know, he's one of the top five in the world right now. And but that was in March of 2020. That's the very start of the pandemic. It's a long time since he's been out. So it'll be interesting to see if that plays a part here. But yeah, I think he'd be a big, big favorite here. And uh, you know, rightly so. I, I think he, uh, I think he will win this fight, and it'll be good to see him back. But 
you know, that ring rust is a real thing. It'll be interesting to see how that plays into it. And, you know, Jenkins does start well, I think, and he is a dangerous guy. He can if if you let him attack you, he is dangerous. Right. But if you attack him, maybe uh, maybe it's the other way around. Uh, let's move on here a little bit. And uh, now, before we get into it uh, <laughs> any further, this card is kind of all over the place as we record. Andrew Munoz just uh, yesterday, I think uh, it was confirmed that he's out of the card. Now, obviously, he's supposed to fight Uriah Hall, and then they were looking for a matchup, um, and you know they tried to get Trickus Duplessis, I think, but he'd already started cutting weight, so he didn't want to do it, which is absolutely fair enough. So. There'll probably be a fight we talk about today, which has moved to, to the main card. I'll have a preview for that as well, and we might preview the, that fight a second time by the time that is out. But uh, nevertheless, um, let's talk a little bit about Chris Barnett. Uh, and he's fighting uh, Martin Baudet, who uh, made his, uh, 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 not UFC debut, but Dana White Contender series, series debut, and looked he looked a tough out in that one. He's... Um, you know he's a big boy, six foot five, uh, and we all know Chris Barnett, uh, five foot nine, <laughs> little, little heavyweight at thirty five years of age now. But what what a fight he had against uh, John Volante last time out, landing that spinning wheel kick and knocking him out after the kind of the weird UFC debut, I suppose, against Ben Rothwell. Like it's it's a, a pretty simple matchup here to break out. <laughs> Chris Barnett is wild, brilliant, wheel kicks, not the best cardio in the world. Martin Baudet, for a big guy, he, I think he has very good cardio. He's able, able to keep going the way he does, likes to push a guy against the fence, likes to land those kind of knees in the clinch because of his size advantage over most people. And it's just a, a, a dirty old matchup for a lot of guys. Uh, look, you'd have to probably favor Baudet in this matchup, but you can't rule out Chris Barnett, can you? He's, he's, whatever happens, he's fun to watch. Anyway, you, I assume you're a big fan. Yeah, you can't not love Chris Barnett. I mean, the walkout is going to be terrific. He's going to dance. It's going to be awesome. He's going to get in there and he's going to throw wheel kicks and, you know, tornado kicks and jumping switch kicks and all kinds of stuff that you don't expect from, as you said, a guy that's 5'8 and used to fight at super heavyweight. Um, but yeah, Martin Budai is, is, a, is a tough matchup for Chris Barnett. He is a great big human being. And I mean, we talk about heavyweight all the time and yes, they're all... They're all large gentlemen, but they're not all created the same way. I think we saw that a couple of weeks ago. Sergey Pavlovich just looks like a giant tree of a man. I think Michael Bisping was looking for, for a British tree to describe him as and, and landed on an oak of some kind or an elm of some kind. Martin Budai is, this, is the same way. He is a great, big, fully formed six foot five. He's not some big, tall, skinny dude. This isn't Stefan Struve. This isn't anything like that. This is six five. Thick as oatmeal and wonderful in the clinch. Um, it's always tough. So I preview and review and, and cover kind of the contender series as well and have throughout its five-year run. It's always tough to sort of get a gauge of how good these athletes are coming off that show because the matchups sometimes are very favorable or neither guy has a lot of experience. He went out there and put it on Lorenzo Hood, who has been around for a while, never really got to the top level, but you know him as kind of a tough out and a guy at heavyweight with a ton of power that can put you out if you make mistakes. And Martin Budai went out there and just did exactly what he needed to do, putting him up against the cage and just burying him with knees and finally getting that finish late in the first round, if I do remember correctly. He's, he's a very guy, interesting... I don't know if you agree, but he's the type of guy to me that... Uh, he's not look. He's not as muscular as maybe uh, domineering in terms of looking at him as a as a Pavlovich, but 
I mean, maybe this is incorrect, but I think he's a bit of like a Cain a Velasquez type shape, maybe where he's not a you know not as felt maybe as other guys. But I think he'd keep going and going and going yeah. forever. And with a game like his, that, that that's do you know what that is? That's a long term, very good game for heavyweight MMA. I think, and I, like as you said, it's hard to gauge coming after the, the contender series. Although as you mentioned, his opponent is uh, Lawrence Hood is a good guy to gauge it off of. But I think look this. This will probably be a hard fight to get sure he is as well after because yeah. Chris Barnett is a different one. But he is definitely someone, I think, you know, who... And I, you can tell me if you agree or not, but we need to keep an eye on going forward in the heavyweight division because there isn't that many, you know, prospects at the heavyweight division and he does seem like one to me. What, what Do you think he is one as well? I think he is. And, and you mentioned kind of being a Cain Velasquez type. I look at him as, as kind of the evolutionary replacement of Ben Rothwell, who was, was let go yeah, by the UFC I like very that. recently, right? Like, just... <laughs> Just that guy that can can thrive anywhere from about 10 to 20 in that division is going to be a tough out every time you get in there with him. Has great conditioning, as we've said. Has an ability to sort of weather some of the punishment that comes in the heavyweight division. He's not going to be, at least I don't think, a guy that gets put out pretty quickly and pretty regularly. I think he's somebody that's going to be in there and make you work for those victories and work for everything you get. It is tough to gauge it here because obviously the the tendency will be to say, well, he was fighting a guy that's 5'8", 5'9", and 35 years old and a little over the hill and whatever, whatever. So I think this is this is kind of a like, let's just, let's confirm what you and I are thinking here this weekend against Chris Barnett, and then we'll see what the next matchup is. We'll see what two fights down the road looks like and and really be able to start making some assessments about where he fits in the division. 100%. Uh, I want to talk about Lena Landsberg and P- uh, Panny Kinza. Before we get to that, though, I must tell you, UFC uh, on ESPN 34, Luca versus Mohamed 2 is more fun when you bet at P- betus.com. Use that code SHARDOG to get an incredible 125% bonus up to $2,500. Luca is just about the favorite over Mohamed, so get in now or even choose to bet to win uh, inside uh, the distance uh, as well to increase your winnings. At betus.com, you can make the fights even more fun by betting throughout the fights start the fight at betus.com and use the code SHERDOG. uh right so let's talk about that fight lean landsberg versus panny kinzad do you know what it was one of those ones i watched a good few panny kinzad fights and i was really impressed with her. i know i've watched her before but you kind of as you said we were saying at the start you get that reminder of how good she is and for lena landsberg it's almost hard to see how good she is all like i challenge anyone to go out and see one of her fights and watch one of her fights online that there isn't a long, long, long clinch in it. It feels like her fights just in, like, I was looking for notes. I was looking, I want to see, a, like, a long period of of fighting on, uh, you know, stand-up fighting. And, you know, this keeps saying on the, the commentary, oh, she's a great Mai Tai stylist and all her dates. But all her fights just seem to go the, the same way. Look, she does well in the clinch. And, obviously, the clinch is a part of Mai Tai as well. We've seen it, you know, Valentina Shashinko doing really well in the clinch in, in recent fights. But she has good hands. Just rarely gets time to show him. She does back her cardio in that area. And I don't know if that's wise or not, to be honest, but she does make it a scrap and she lands lots of shots uh, on the inside. Kinzad is one of these fighters to me, Spencer, that she kind of starts at a low pace, goes to a high pace, and kind of changes throughout the fight. Lovely Mai Tai, those knees inside when she gets a clinch in the middle of the cage are really good. Lovely jab. I think she fakes very well with her feet as well, if you notice it. She kind of stomps like that with her feet, a bit, a bit like Volkanovski does. 
and uh, and she lands shots after. Lovely combos as well. Very, very impressed uh, with Kinzad. And I think she's a favourite coming into this one as well. I, I hope, kind of for Lena Landsberg even maybe a little bit, that this does turn into a striking matchup. I hope we haven't loads and loads of clinching as well because I feel like it could be a very good one and it could show what Landsberg has kind of been wanting to show. But I'm not sure if she does want to show it. Or if she does want to clinch, I'm not sure if she right. draws people in or if they draw her in. What's your take on it? Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting, right? It's her first fight back after the birth of, of her child with Akira Khorasani. Um, I think her last fight was two years ago against Sarah McMahon. Suffered a loss there, but but has some good performances. And even some of her losses, when you look at them, she put it to Aspen Ladd early in their fight. And Aspen Ladd had to rally and make those changes and adjust game plans. She's, and I've said it, I've used the word, the, the phrase a couple of times, but she is a tough out. She is somebody that I think she does like making it dirty. I think she does like being the one to initiate that clinch and work inside because I think she's generally stronger physically than a bunch of these women that she's faced. Her nickname is the Elbow Queen. She loves getting inside and throwing those those elbows from the clinch. Penny Kianzad, as you said, those, those last couple of fights prior to the Raquel Pennington fight, really got you thinking that, okay, she's she's finally put it together, right? She's somebody that both you and I have seen for a long, long time, going back to when she was fighting in like Superior Challenge in Sweden, and then Invicta for a while, and was on the Ultimate Fighter at one point. And she kind of got on a nice little run and then got in there with a veteran who is still very much in the thick of it in, in Rocky Pennington. And you kind of saw a little bit of that separation of skill and a little bit of that separation of level and it's going to be interesting to me. This this fight, to me, sort of sorts out exactly where P- Penny Kianzad falls in this division. Even though Lena Landsberg is coming back off two years away, we know sort of where she fits and, and where she falls, kind of the ceiling and the floor for her at 135 pounds. I hope it's a striking battle. I hope it's out in space because I love Penny Kianzad's ba- boxing. I think she's done a lot of good work with it. I love the fact that she is very jab-reliant and very jab-heavy, um, certainly underutilized. You and I have talked about it a bunch of times on on various platforms. And so I'd like to see that, but I do think we're going to get a lot, of, a lot of clinch work, a lot of struggle inside, a lot of battle inside. And it'll be interesting to see, sort of as we talked about with Drakkar Close as well, what that time away, what that ring rust, what sort of being a little older as well. I think Lena Landsberg is, is closing in on 40 if she's not there already. And so that's going to be an interesting piece of it as well. But it should be a it should be an entertaining fight because there's no way Lena Landsberg comes back off two years, kind of looking to just have a, a boring fight, not with Akira screaming at her in his in her corner. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, William Knight versus uh, Devin Clark. A very very interesting fight. Uh, William Knight got up to heavyweight here, obviously, and uh, officially <laughs> this time. Officially, officially, this officially, time, yeah. officially, yeah. I, uh, I'm unsure about this because, like, he's not the biggest guy in the world, even a light heavyweight, and he's gone up the heavyweight, and he's going to be fighting against Devin Clark. Who, I'm looking at Devin, I went back and watched some of Devin Clark's fights, and it's amazing the amount of good people he has fought. He fought Brian Spann, and he took him down a good few times, and he was doing well in that fight. He fought Rakic, he fought Blahovic, he fought you know Alex Nicholson back in the day. He fought Alonzo Minifield. Kutalaba, Anthony Smith. This guy has fought the who's who, a phrase I hate. Don't, don't get me wrong, a phrase I absolutely hate. But uh, it, look, 
it's going to be a tough matchup for William Knight, I think. I think it's going to be a very, very difficult one for him. He's looking a big berserker. Uh, although in the, the Charant fight, I think he was a little bit more technical and waited a little bit more uh, in that one as well. But he uh, he lets go of that right hand and he's a good low kick too. Not the greatest takedown defense in the world. Devin Clark, very good takedown, smart with it. Very strong guy. He switches stances and throws that big bomb of a right hand over the top. Looks for the front kick up the middle um, and looks for, you know, he looks for his shots very, very well as well. Blasts into range a lot. I, I think this Devin Clark is going to be a big a big favorite here and I think he'll win this fight. What, what way do you see it going? Yeah, I think the same as you. I mean, as you said, Devin Clark is, has fought a tough schedule throughout his UFC career. Um, I think his first couple of fights were at middleweight and then he moved up to light heavyweight and it's been a good, a good collection of competition. The results haven't been there, but he's one of those guys to me that you can see the athleticism. You can see sort of the, the foundations of skill and sometimes it just doesn't come together for people or the matchups aren't right. And it just takes that extra two, three years or the right couple matchups this feels like an opportunity to be the right kind of matchup. As you said, William Knight, not a big guy for light heavyweight to begin with in terms of stature is just a, I mean, his nickname, his, his unofficial nickname is thick. Willie He's just a great big, huge human being that is also kind of short to be a light heavyweight. And now a heavyweight. I didn't like when he came in on short notice and couldn't make weight for the last fight against Max Gresham. Um, didn't like the, way the response was sort of framed of like, look, I took the fight on short notice and doing the UFC a favor and tried to do everything I can. If you can't make the weight, don't, don't take the fight. If there's any, if there's any question about it, don't take the fight. Then he goes out, doesn't look great. He doesn't throw for a guy that has ferocious power, as you correctly said, he doesn't throw a lot. He, he sort of waits and, and hunts for that one shot. Whereas I think he's, he's probably better off being a bit more of that berserker you mentioned. And and yep, he looked great in the Fabio Charant fight where he sort of allowed Charant to come in and, and capitalize on those mistakes. But I think that was more about inexperience for Fabio Charant than it is for the best style for William Knight. And so I think this fight is going to be one of those ones where we again get a sort get a sense of does William Knight belong? Where does William Knight belong? What's what's his next couple of fights in the UFC look like? Is he back down at light heavyweight? Does he just commit fully and become sort of the next short heavyweight in the Chris Barnett mold? Or is this kind of maybe time that he needs to have a bit of a reset and go back to the regional circuit and and sort some stuff out and and make some hard choices about what division he fights in and how he prepares? Because I think Devin Clark has the potential and has the ability to come out here and just dominate this fight, put him on the deck, beat him up from top position with some elbows and some ground and pound, either find a choke or get a finish that way and and have kind of the performance that I think a lot of people have been waiting to see from Devin Clark for a long, long time. Yeah, and I think we will see it. You know, I think it's I think it's a good matchup for him, honestly, and I think uh, I think he will do it there. Let's move on and talk about uh, someone I was very impressed with, uh, Yanan Wu, who is fighting uh, Mario Bueno Silva, uh, Bueno Silva Salpa with very good leg kicks. I think very cocky, I would say. <laughs> she is the way she fights, very relaxed. Obviously, she's very good submissions, a few arm bars um, on, on the ground when she gets taken down. She's a very active guard. Uh, but to me, she's one of those people that doesn't look to take it down enough, maybe, you know, and she's happy to kind of play with 
play on the feet while kind of getting beat up a little bit. And if someone, if she wants someone to beat her up, uh, uh, Yanan Wu is a very good person to do it. Very good orthodox uh, fighter. Constantly looking to land that lead hand. Uh, but you never know when it's coming. You know, it's one of those kind of, she moves it up, she moves it out, she moves it aside, and then she throws it from, you know, odd places, just kind of dances on the outside, very slick. That does lead to issues with cardio, I think, late in the fight. So um, I, I'd be interested to see if, Buena Silva can still be in there in the third round. What this, how this fight looks, and who's going kind of going to win it late? But I, I would fancy you to win this fight. I'm very, very impressed with her. She, okay, she's taken a few losses and all of that, but uh, Buena Silva is look, she is dangerous. Well, I, I think this will be a fun fight. I think it'd be a really fun fight because you, uh, we will go out and she'll punch her in the face really hard, <laughs> and Buena Silva will be like, okay, yeah, let's do that some more, and that to me will uh, lead to a very good fight. How, how do you see it, God? Yeah, I think it is going to be one of those interesting fights. And and the point you make about Myra Brennis, Bueno Silva is, is the one I think about all the time. She's got submission wins over uh, Mauro Mella Barella and, and Jillian Robertson, two very good grapplers, two people that, you know, are looking to take fights to the ground and she's finished them both. And yet she prefers to just get in there and stand, right? Her last fight is against Menon Fierro and, and they go 15 minutes basically a kickboxing match against a world-class kickboxer. And, and she, she did, was happy to do it. She did fine. Yeah. She, she held yeah. her own. It was, it was a close fight. It was a competitive fight. And then you just kind of go, take her down. Like just play. You have other strengths. Like this is, this is one of the things that, that is always, you know, confusing about fighters at times of like, you have a secondary path and it's better than the other person's. Why not explore it? Now I get wanting to get in there and just bang it out and show that you're the tougher tougher of the two or the better of the two on the feet and and not necessarily kind of exploit a strength maybe that you have, but exploit the strength that you have. Go out there and show it. You mentioned the conditioning. Obviously, she she kind of fell behind, got out early and then fell in the fight with Montana De La Rosa to, to end up landing in a draw in that fight. Uyanon coming off that loss to, to Jocelyn Edwards last January, I believe it was, out on Fight Island. She's been down in Albuquerque. And so to already have the orthodox boxing that you talk about and and that piston of a right hand that she's going to throw out there and then link up with Brandon Gibson and the crew down there to continue working on it. I think this is, this is one of those ones that we don't think about it much going in and then it's going to happen. And after 15 minutes, we're going to be like, God, that was a great fight. That's, that's the clubhouse leader for fight of the night right now. Wouldn't surprise me if that's how this one plays out. I'll be interesting to see if if Buena Silva decides to grapple, but I think we get 15 minutes of face punching, and I can't wait for it. Me neither. I think yeah, I think that's going to be good. I think it's really going to be good. One, I'm not sure if it's going to be good or not. Is Jordan Levitt against Trey Ogden? <laughs> like Jordan Levitt, he's going to take you down. You know that's that's what he wants to do. He absolutely, literally smashed Matt Wyman's face into the canvas. Um, all of these fights are wrestling. Another guy who's very hard to find any striking on him uh, in his 10 fights, but a very kind of slight guy. He doesn't look like, you know, the big, strong wrestler, but he very much is. And I, if I had to give you one guarantee for this card, it would be a Jordan Levitt slam. He loves a slam every single fight. But he's fighting Trey Ogden, who's a very good fighter. He's the uh, Fury FC lightweight champion, I believe, fighting under James Krause. Um, I went back and I watched this is UFC debut, if I'm not mistaken. I went back and I watched a couple of his fights in Fury FC. Very fast, accurate striker, nice jab, keeps his hands low. You know, he's one of those fighters who's good on the outside, exciting. We'll add in a takedown too and heavy on top. The 
couple of fights I watched him. Uh, uh, his last fight against JJ, JJ someone. Uh, he almost got caught in an armbar as well in that. So maybe that would be uh, something that uh, if it does go to the ground, you, you could see Levitt looking for that. But, uh, you know, I think this is a, an interesting fight. If Ogden can keep it standing, I think he'd probably be favored. If Levitt can get on top, I think he's favored against most people because he's so good there. Uh, you, you know, you've talked a lot about James Krause's gym over the last while and the guys they're producing. What's your sense on Trey Ogden? Is he uh, one of the, the top guys coming out of that gym? Is he going to be a, a good, solid UFC fighter or is Jordan Levitt going to be uh, too much for him here, maybe? I don't know if he's necessarily one of the top guys and that's that's not a knock on him that's lifting up some of the guys that are coming out of there. David Onama seems like one of the top guys and and is ferocious at featherweight. And Jeff Molina, I think, has a very bright future at flyweight at 125. Um, and Trey Ogden is part of that pack. He is part of that group. They have a ton of UFC talent coming through that gym, and it's a credit to James Krause and what they've been able to build, build from scratch down there in Lee Summit, Missouri at, at Glory. Trey Ogden is one of those guys that anybody that covers the regional circuit, anybody that pays attention to the regional circuit, you've sort of known about him for a number of years. And he's always felt like he's been one fight away and kind of on the cusp. And when he gets right there, there's a stumble. And so it was nice to see him kind of get this opportunity. And I think it was a, a looking for a fight show win over well, JJ Okanovich, who was a contender series alum that kind of elevates him into this position. So he's here Hopefully he can kind of stick around and move forward. But you mentioned Jordan Levitt. He's been one of those guys from the contender series for me that has just been a constant question mark and, and kind of perplexing because, you know, you see that debut against Matt Wyman where he carries him across the, the octagon, slams him into oblivion and gets the win. But then the second, the sophomore effort against Claudio Pueyes isn't great. But is that because Claudio Pueyes is a lot better than we think he is? He's he's looked very good since coming back, going out and getting a second knee bar win and, and calling for a big fight. And then Jordan Levitt returns and, and gets an inverted triangle. You know, he's he's one of those guys. That's that's the interesting thing to Jordan Levitt, for Jordan Levitt, for me, is that no matter where he is on the ground, he's active. And I think that's the thing we hear a lot through the commentary. I know Dominic Cruz talks about it a lot. You can't just accept positions. You can't just be happy to be on your back. And Jordan Levitt is a guy that is never going to be happy, whether he's on top or he's on bottom. He's never going to accept that position. He's going to be getting his feet on the hips. He's going to be looking for advancements. He's going to be hunting out submissions, even if they are weird things like inverted triangles that we don't see all that often. And I think that's what makes him consistently dangerous and consistently interesting in this division where he's still pretty young in his career. He's surrounded by a good group at Syndicate. He has that sort of specialist ability on the ground as a grappler. And so, as you said, if, if he can go out and drag this fight to the ground and just make this a grappling match, I think he absolutely shines. But it's a matter of, can he get it there? And can he be forceful enough? I think that's going to be the deciding thing for him is, is there going to be I mean, it sounds bad, but is there enough meanness to Jordan? Is there enough nastiness and sharpness to Jordan Levitt that he wants to go out there and just force these fights to be the way that he wants them to be, as opposed to somebody that wants to just go out there and and kind of have a grappling match and and see how it goes and not rough you up? And like, I understand. I you know, I don't think these these athletes necessarily have to go out there with malicious intent of I'm I'm gonna punish my opponent and do these, you know, Sean Strickland things. 
but you have to have a little bit of grit to you. There's got to be a little bit of sandpaper of wanting to get out there and, and start this fight and put this guy in bad positions. And I just don't know if he's got that piece. Uh, which is interesting because Trey Ogden, I think, does have that piece. May, maybe doesn't have the skill set of, of him. But we'll <laughs> Very see. much has that piece. Indeed. But it, it'll also be someone who has had that piece against Levitt that I don't think he's faced before, or at least at this level of competition. Anyway, so I think that makes this one very, very interesting. Uh, further down the card, then, last three fights we're going to talk about here. Sam Hughes against uh, Estela Nunes, who I've been very impressed with watching her. Uh, they said in the broadcast for on the UFC fight, she's a two-time Muay Thai champion. And she fights very much like a stick and move type of game, throwing that jab. She gets pushed back an awful lot, but she does land counters. I don't know, is there a woman in, in the UFC with faster hands than her? So fast, her hands are lovely left high kicks. She switches stances. She's good takedown defense up to a point, um, <laughs> I think would, would be the, the way I would put it. Sam Hughes, then she has a nice jab. She walks forward. She wouldn't be the fastest in the world, but I watched her after watching Nunes, so everyone would look slow after that, I suppose. Uh, she kind of stretches into range, which will be, be very dangerous against Nunes. But she throws loads of kicks, does kind of front leg side kicks. Um, I feel like her performances in the UFC maybe haven't shown how good she actually is. I watched her fight with uh, Hindley in LFA, and she looked really good there. Look, her hands are really, really good. And if it turns into a fight where it's striking like that, Look, Nunes, I think, will be favorite in that start of the fight, but I think it'll be a fun fight. Uh, I would pick Nunes in this one. I think she is a better fighter all around, but I think Sam Hughes is very gritty. And I, she, well, her record is five and four now. I think she's honestly, I think she's a, a better fighter than that, but she doesn't produce it all the time, I think. And that can be a problem. You know, we've seen it down through the years with different sort of fighters. We always hear about great gym fighters are great in the local team, but then they get under those bright lights and they can't really produce it. And I feel like she may be one of them. Uh, what, what's your breakdown on, on this one, Spencer? And like, it's a big fight for both of them, isn't it? Because like to go from five and four to five and five or to go to six and four is big or to go to, to six and three or seven and two is big as well. So it's a massive fight in the both of their careers at this point. Well, and even bigger for Sam Hughes is that she's all in three in the UFC, right? This is, this is make or break. And the interesting part of this is it's her first camp down in Dallas at Fortis MMA. She moved from, from Washington state after her last fight and, and said, look, this isn't because I lost. This is something that's been in the works for a while. I want to be closer to family I've got a connection now that I can go and train in this gym. And, and there's not many gyms in the world that are better than Fortis MMA in terms of getting people ready to be their best on this stage. And, and you're a big advocate for fighters, you know, being their best and, and fighting each other when they are their best. I think this is a chance to see the best version of Sam Hughes. She was a collegiate athlete growing up in, in track and field. And I think we just haven't really seen sort of the evolution from athlete to, to actual fighter. Um, I throw out the fight with Tisha Torres, like short notice against a perennial top 15 fighter. It, it went the way you expected it to go. Like that's, that's how that fight is going to go for just about anybody in that position. You look at the Loma Luke boom me fight. You look at the Luke Pinheiro fight, two fights, as you said, where she just isn't quite, all the way in and isn't quite up to the speed of those two athletes who have progressed very well in their first kind of year and a half, two years in the UFC. I think this is a chance to see the best version of Sam Hughes, but I still don't know if, if that version is good enough to compete at this level 
Estela Nunez is somebody that will help prove that, help show whether that is the case. Um, she is she is scrappy. She is going to get out there and and throw those hands at you, as you said. A very good Muay Thai fighter. She fought in one championship before having her big long suspension there prior to her UFC debut. Um, I know she lost. I I the way you described her takedown defense is perfect. It's really good up into a point. I don't know that necessarily that Sam Hughes is going to be someone that looks to exploit some of that. We saw it in her last fight against Arian Car- Carnalosi, who did exploit some of that to get that victory. But this is going to be one of those ones that, you know, we're, we're going to get a corner cam of Safe Saud yelling at Sam Hughes in the way that he does, that she's just got to commit. And that's that's the biggest thing for her. She has to not reach in on those punches, as you said, and those kicks, as you said. She's got to actually step forward into them and throw them with intent. And if she does, I think she's somebody that can that can have success. And, you know, not going to be a contender. She's not going to be somebody that rockets up the rankings and suddenly two years from now we're talking about her as a title challenger. But she's somebody that can be a steady force and, and a steady competitor kind of in that lower third of the division where she is right now. It just hasn't broken right for her yet. I, I 100% agree. Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, Heaven, uh, Heaven Kroom, Kevin Kroom, uh, and Alting Haley. Uh, Kroom, you know, I think he's out of James Gross's gym as well, isn't he? If I'm not mistaken, you know, he's one of these guys who throws a lot. He tries a lot. He never gives up. Not, I wouldn't say he's the most skilled fighter in the world, a very good chin. And he, do you know what? He grows into a fight. So I think. He's a better second-round fighter than he is a first-round fighter. I think he's a better third-round fighter than he is a second-round fighter, maybe. I was very, very, very impressed with Alting Haley, uh, watching him. Accurate right hand, but maybe he's not the most varied fighter in the world, but very good defensively, very good top control when it gets to the ground. Good wrestler, but he likes to strike. He's you know, he's my type of fighter. You know, I, I, li- I like the clean, straight punches, the nice right hand, the nice jab and everything like that. And there is a massive, massive uh, meeting of styles here. You know, it is that that slick, nice striker who takes his time against the, the berserker. Not, not, not necessarily a berserker, but a, a guy who will throw a thousand shots without thinking because that's the way he needs to do it. And that's the way he puts his ability against your ability. And you know what? That's something we get in MMA that we don't get in a lot of other sports. And I'm looking forward to this fight. Uh, you know, Alating is a lot of fights. He has a lot of fights for a guy who's still up and coming. I see fourteen, eight, and two. If I'm not mistaken, here I'm looking, just looking. That's that, and he's you know he's going to need to beat Kevin Kroom here. I think if he if he's rising through because you only have a certain amount of miles on the clock in 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 mixed martial arts. Um, but uh, this is look, this is one of those fights that okay, neither guy might be a champion here. Neither guy might rise into the top fifteen even. Well, this would be a damn fun fight to me and a good... I, I think it's the opener. I'm not 100% sure. Obviously, the card probably isn't finalized yet, but I'm looking forward to this fight. I, I assume you are too. Yeah, I mean, every division needs a Kevin Kroom. Every organization needs multiple Kevin Krooms, guys that are just going to go out there and are, you know, they're, they're raccoons backed into a corner. That's how he fights. He's just a guy that's going to come out and, and get after it. We remember the the debut against Roosevelt Roberts. It got overturned because he, you know, took a fight on short notice and had some weed in his system. He still choked him out in a heartbeat, and it was a great finish. And every time he's out there, he's tough to put away. He's been in dozens of scraps on the regional circuit, fought everybody, 34 years old. He looks like he, he is, I mean, his nickname is Crash, and that's it's perfect, right? 
He's just that guy that's going to go out there and get in a fist fight with you. And he's, as you said, he's going to get better as the fight goes on because he's going to settle in and he's going to get some of that rambunctious energy out. And then he's going to start doing things a little bit better. And James Krause is going to be shouting at him and he's going to sort of settle in a little bit more. But Alatang Ali is, is a guy for me as well that I've really enjoyed watching because, again, not, you know, superstar level. But a guy, as as you said, that is just going to go out there, that knows who he is as a fighter, is going to stick to those weapons. He looked good in the fight against Gustavo Lopez. He's looked good through most of his UFC fights, right? He just he's a he's a quality fighter in this division at this level that is going to consistently put on entertaining fights on the prelims, which is what we need, which is why we're here talking about them because we're all going to tune in on Saturday and see this fight and be like, that was a fun fight. I want to see those guys again. And that's that's kind of sometimes all you need. It doesn't always have to be about championship contenders. It could just be about these two dudes going out there and and one wanting to throw clean technique and the other being Kevin Kroom looking to make things an absolute dust up. A hundred percent. And I think the, the last fight here is, it has that, but it also has, I think the top level feel is, in my opinion, this is the best fight on the card. Andre Filo against Miguel Baeza. Even over the main event nearly. Now the main event the main event quality wise, absolutely. But I think this will be a better fight. I love this fight. Like Philo, he came in, he fought Mikel Pereira in his UFC debut. And you'd be thinking, oh guy fighting Mikel Pereira in his UFC debut, calm down. Like, but he was well able for him and he he beat him in the in the first uh, portion of that fight. Okay, he went on to lose, but he, he, I said coming into that fight, and I said it during the fight, and I'll say it now. He m- reminds me of Conor McGregor the way he fights. You know, he pushes forward, he pressures you, and he counters you. Fights out of the orthodox stance now, but he does change his outbound sometimes. But a very good fighter, very good chin. And Baeza, he is a guy who stays technical with his striking in all areas. If he pushes you forward, he's technical. If you're pushing him forward or pushing him backwards, sorry, he stays technical. And Lads, you know, everyone tries to push him back. He fought Matt Brown, he fought Ponzinibbio, he fought Sato. They all tried to push him back, and it didn't work out great for, for, for any of them, you know. Um, uh, well, Ponzinibbio won't end up winning in the end, didn't he? Or my God, mad. But yeah. at, at parts, anyway. Um, he took Sato down as well. He's black belt in BJJ. This guy is a top, top, top fighter, I think. And I like Filo as well. I think, you know, maybe Filo doesn't have as high a ceiling as Baeza, but his... It feels like he's in his prime right now, and he is like he's a guy who maybe came a little bit late to the UFC, and he could become a ranked fighter. Could have become a ranked fighter. I know he's you know, he's not that old, and he's only eighteen fights into his career. I, I I suppose, but I love this fight. I think it's a very fun fight. And look, Baez will probably be favorite, but I wouldn't at all be shocked if if Fila won this fight because of what he's shown. His ability is right up there with a lot of these guys, and uh, Baez. You know, I don't think he's fought a guy who will go kind of technique for technique with him and will try to push him back and fight a technical fight. No, that actually might work out badly for Vila thinking about it more, but it might work out badly for Baez as well. It's it's a, a tremendous fight. This And this is the one that when I look through all the fights, this is the one that really stood out to me. Is, is, is the one you're looking forward to? Yeah, it's a terrific matchup. And, and as you said, two guys that are both capable of climbing the ranks and, and Miguel Baeza was doing that prior to, you know, that was that was what prompted the matchup with Santiago Ponzinibbio last year. Loses that one, goes out, fights Chaos Williams, gets finished in the third round of that fight as well, but is, has shown the ability to finish fights, take some damage. The Matt Brown fight was chaos, 
when it happened. Um, got hurt early, rallies back, finishes Matt Brown. Not a lot of people finish Matt Brown. Um, and is somebody that could still progress up. I think this is sort of the point these last couple fights last year are the point where, all right, here's the adversity, kid. Here's here's the struggle. Now let's see what you can do after the struggle. And so this is a big fight for him. I think Andre Fialo is a, is a really interesting fighter in this division to go out on short notice against Michelle Pajera, who is nuts to fight, can be very difficult to fight, um, and start as well as he did is impressive to me. I don't, it's, it's one of those fights where I know the result. I don't care about the result. I care about those first sort of seven minutes where Andre Fiala looks good. And now he gets to go back to the gym and work with Henry Hooft and work with Greg Jones and the crew down there at Sanford and figure out how do we translate the first five to seven minutes into a full 15. And there were things in that fight where there's clear ways for him to adjust and improve and, and kind of take, the next step, he didn't throw us. I don't think he threw a single kick in that fight as he's got Michelle Pajera backed up against the fence. He's just throwing rights and lefts and that's it. And, and had success that way. And so if he starts diversifying, if we start seeing some of the things that he used during his really great run in 2021, that got him to this point where he wins four straight fights and, and knocks out a couple of former UFC guys and just absolutely obliterates Stefan Sekulik with, with some elbows he can be a guy that that takes that step forward. He's a big, strong fighter. I kind of liken him a little bit to Seer Bahadur Zada. Um, they look a little bit similar to me for one thing, but just in that like menacing ability to walk forward, but be technical, but have power, but potentially maybe doesn't quite end up being as good as we we hope he would be. And so I think this is a fight for for both of them where we see sort of what that next step is going to be and how they deal with that setback and, and build from it and turn them into potential learning moments. It's a great fight. I, I absolutely I can't wait to see it. And uh, if you're betting on UFC uh, on ESPN 34, Bilal Muhammad, uh, we'll be looking at if Benal can beat the odds against Luke or if Luke can uh, can win by KO. Get your bets on uh, for the, the fight night this weekend at betus.com. Use the code SHERDOG and get 125% bonus. Betus.com has been taking bets for well over 25 years and their reason is the number one UFC sports. We've got more betting options. Live betting at games. Betus.com is your new home for UFC betting. Start the fight at betus.com and use that code SHERDOG. Spencer, thank you very much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you to everyone for listening. If you're not following Spencer, please get over there and do it right now. He has absolutely unbelievable work. Love reading it every week, and you will too. I promise you that. Thanks, everyone, again, for listening. My name is Sean Sheehan. I'll see you all next time.